to the podcast, Jesus Has Left the Building, where we talk with people all over the nation, leading creative, outside the box, I mean, outside the church building, ministries that inspire and engage us. And we talk with people about why they have decided to create new and transforming ministries, especially during times such as these. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast where ministers, writers, activists, and church leaders have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. Today's episode, called Our Common Fate, features Shane Claiborne and Mike Martin. Shane is a Christian activist advocating for nonviolence and service to the poor. He's the author of many books, including Beating Guns, Hope for the People Who Are Weary of Violence, which he co-authored with friend and peace activist Mike Martin. Mike is the founder and executive director of the national nonprofit Raw Tools. Using the second chapter of Who Will Be a Witness as Guide, we explore the biblical character Barabbas and his relationship with Jesus. We discuss Barabbas' role in this holy story. Instead of diluting, domesticating, or misdirecting the meaning of Barabbas in relationship to Jesus. I am Marta Fioriti, and I'm the pastor of Black Forest Community Church in Northern Colorado Springs. And I am Mandy Todd, Director of Worship and Arts here at Black Forest Community Church. We are super excited today to be joined in just a little bit by our friends Mike Martin and Shane Claiborne, who are doing amazing justice work in our world. But first, um, we want to share with you our scripture passage for today. It comes from Luke 23, verses 18 and 19. But we highly suggest that you read all of Luke chapter 23 to really get the full story of this scripture text. It's a good story, and to especially hone in on the Barabbas yes. character of that story. Yes. Chapter 18. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. So Luke chapter 23 is a Holy Week story that uh, happens in the springtime um, around Easter. And we are um, excited to be looking at this particular story as we think about chapter 2 and who will be a witness. We read this story with a focus on a man named Barabbas. For most Christians, he's not a popular figure in the story and in fact makes most of us feel a little uncomfortable. He is the one set free by Pilate and the people of the Roman Empire instead of Jesus. And Jesus is kept captive and then crucified. So it is an uncomfortable mm -hmm. story. In some ways, while this whole story, with Barabbas included, is uncomfortable for mainstream and even progressive Christians, we must acknowledge Barabbas's part in the culture wars of his time. Because in a sense, it helps us with the culture wars of our time. Right. It is not by accident that his full name was Jesus Barabbas. Mm -hmm. 
Drew quotes theologian and scholar Ched Myers on page 81 of Who Will Be a Witness. Jesus and Barabbas each represent fundamentally different kinds of revolutionary practice, violent and nonviolent, both of which led to a common fate, prison and impending execution. Yeah. At the end of the day, Barabbas was a re religious freedom fighter of his time, and he thought his act of resistance aligned with God. Drew suggests in the book that instead of thinking of Barabbas as the Joker, the bad guy from the Batman movies, instead we need to think of Barabbas like Nat Turner, who led a violent revolution in Virginia in 1821 against slavery. Turner's story is really interesting, so we're going to um, put some resources up on that yeah. story and some pictures of him. For sure. So threaded throughout all of the entire book, Who Will Be a Witness, is this vision that Drew is casting that's deeply rooted in the faith community rather than in personal individual salvation. And even in this chapter, chapter two, Liberating Barabbas, Drew lifts up not just our relationship to Jesus, but our relationship to all of God's kingdom. Drew presses us to be concerned, aware, and empathic to the way we may cast each other as the other. So as every week, we offer a ritual. And so now is the time to press pause so that you can go grab your simple household items and be prepared for the ritual at the end of this episode so that we can do it together in a sense. So I want you to take a moment and I want you to get some pens or markers or pencils, any kind of writing utensil and a little piece of paper. And I just want you to have those by your side so that they will prepare you. So welcome, Shane and Mike, and we are thrilled to have you all in this space and having this conversation with us. Um, both of you are doing kind of some wildly creative work in the world, and we wanted to not only share it with our little community, but uh, Colorado Springs and anybody else who wants to listen to it. and connect it to this book, uh, Drew Hart, and Who Will Be a Witness. Um, there you go. Um, one of the things that we are really looking at throughout these conversations, um, because this is sort of our first season doing this, is um, what is the church's response to this acute time in American history. Um, I mean, we, we know that there's always all kinds of stuff happening and, and things to work on, but I don't know, this feels super intense right now. And um, at the same time, we're also aware that like, you know, um, the mainstream Christian church is on the decline. So we are looking to those people who have a voice and are doing some creative work. Um, 
I know that your work already mostly happens on the street and like not in the building. Um, so we have this, the name of our podcast is called, you know, Jesus has left the building. Um, we know that the two of you have like literally already left the building. Um, but we still want to hear, and I think it can inform our people about that work. And so I have, I'll start with the first question. Um, and Mike or Shane, Mike, if you want to go first, and Shane, or however you want to jump into it. Um, but I would like to invite you both to uh, tell a little bit about your work, your each of your work, your passions, and maybe how they have connected, because I know that they've also connected um, in the past few years. Yeah, so Raw Tools started in 2013 in February, which is two months after the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. And Raw Tools takes guns and turns them into garden tools. Our mission is to disarm hearts and forge peace. Um, and we do that in a variety of ways, but it's all centered on turning a gun into a garden tool and inviting communities to participate in that process, whether that's from helping disable the gun all the way to helping form the garden tool and then taking that tool and using it in a community garden that um, gives fresh food to food pantries or a local elementary school so that this kind of cycle of violence is turned into a cycle of life. Um, and not just, not just with that garden tool that brings life, but literally with the food that it grows. Um, so I think the idea of leaving the building, we were launched out of uh, a local Mennonite church here in Colorado Springs, Bethel Mennonite Church, but we, we can't really set up our anvil inside. So it's, we were kind of, our practice forced us out, which I think is a little bit a part of this question of who will be a witness is you have to go out there so people can see you uh, to be that witness. And from then we really let a lot of, um, and I'll let Shane kind of talk about this next part, but one of our first events, you know, uh, uh, we invited moms to be a part of um, turning a gun into a garden tool. And these moms had lost their kids to gun violence. And that instances like that, the spirit spoke to us. And I think that's the beauty of getting out of the building is it feels like you allow the spirit to move a little bit more than when you kind of design more of everything that happened inside the walls. And as a former youth pastor, I think that's totally true. I feel like if I'm stuck in the youth room in the church, then I think about only what we can do in that youth room. But once we get outside, there's a lot more opportunities and we start meeting our neighbors and our enemies as well. And so that's the, the, the beauty of getting out of the building. But the hardest part is meeting all of our neighbors and enemies and working with ways to uh, suffer with them and rejoice with them and do life with them. Yeah, we love yeah, raw tools. Lo so oh, we do much. love raw tools. Mm -hmm. I love like for me, like the thing that Mike has done so brilliantly is it like the story and the art and the concrete ritual, like all coming together is just like super beautiful. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, it's so great. I've been uh, pumped to be a part of raw tools from really early on. Uh, and just to rewind a little bit before that, I, I uh, grew up in Tennessee and went up to Philadelphia to go to school. And while I was in college, uh, we heard about a group of homeless families that were living in an abandoned cathedral. So I thought that's important, um, you know, given your get out of the building, because literally what sparked 
our community in Philadelphia were was being attentive to this struggle of homeless mothers and their children who had, you know, I mean, powerfully moved into this old abandoned Catholic church building and were living there. We just celebrated the, um, or commemorated the 25 year anniversary of the takeover of that abandoned cathedral. So mm. it was kind of in there that um, in this abandoned church that our vision for church was really uh, started. And we were inspired by the early church in the book of Acts. You know, we started our little community uh, shortly after that. And part of that is, is leaning in to the struggle of our brothers and sisters. So we live in a zip code that has suffered a lot of these injustices. And um, so things like gun violence uh, do not just come out of thin air. They come because we're living near to the struggle. You know, almost every corner of, of my neighborhood in North Philadelphia has a memorial to a life that was lost from gun violence. We've got the stories and the kind of collective memory of, of what's happened on those street corners. So um, I think, you know, as we're talking about this, I think of Jesus's story of the Good Samaritan and the person that gets beat up and left on the side of the road and a bunch of the religious people walk by, uh, but the Samaritan shows compassion and cannot be silent, you know, cannot be complacent and gets into the trench and gets our, the neighbor out of the ditch. and and um, uh, and, and Dr. King preached on that story, and he said, you know, after you lift so many people out of the ditch, you start to say, maybe the whole road to Jericho needs to be reimagined. <laughs> and I think right now, uh, our country has seen way too many people left in the ditch, you know, and our latest names are Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, and there's just one name after another. Um, and, and when it comes to gun violence, it's the same for us. We just had seen too many uh, young lives cut short and we said enough and together with raw tools it's about imagination you know it's about transforming a piece of metal but also stirring our imagination to think you know our neighborhoods can be transformed our country can be transformed uh, it doesn't have to be normal to keep finding bodies uh, on the mm -hmm. side of the road so Shane what, can you talk for those people that might not know about like you and your method to your madness and your ministry in the world. Can you just talk a tad bit about like what you do and you know your activism and your writing and your voice and what what your hope is with that? Well, I, I guess you know over the years we've. I always like how Carl Bart said. Uh, you, you know, one of the great thinkers of the church, he said, we need to read the Bible in one hand, but we need to hold the newspaper in the other so that our faith doesn't just become a ticket into heaven and an excuse to ignore the world we live in. But Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, not just as something we go up to when we die, but something we're to bring on earth, you know, while we live. So that's been, you know, kind of the theology and the fire in our bones. And um, living on the north side of Philadelphia every day, we wake up asking, uh, um, what does it look like for God's kingdom to come on Potter Street? You know, what, it, what does it look like for Philadelphia to be the city that God dreams of? What does it look like for our country to be a country where God's reign is felt, uh, you know, more and more? And 
I think we can say, you know, a hundred lives lost to gun violence every day. That's not God's dream. So we want to do something to interrupt that. Um, for me, that means, you know, having a framework for life that I, I believe every person is made in the image of God. And um, that, that uh, uh, every time a life is crushed, we, we lose a little glimpse of God in the world. So that, you know, has fueled my passion to end poverty and homelessness. It's fueled my passion to welcome immigrants and, uh, you know, be a part of the sanctuary movement. It fuels my passion to end the death penalty, to end gun violence, to, you know, uh, challenge our war economy and the, you know, bombs that have the capacity to kill hundreds of thousands of people. So, you know, I'm, I like to think that I'm, I'm, uh, a, a champion for life, you know, and, and that, to me that includes abortion, but I grew up thinking like pro-life was just about abortion. And to me, I'm, I'm, I want to be for life from womb to tomb. I want to see uh, people flourish. And, and so, you know, the work that we do with raw tools and gun violence is at the very heart of that, because I think what we saw was that ironically, uh, you know, a lot of people, say they're pro-life, but they're also pro-guns, pro-death penalty, pro-war, anti-environment. <laughs> you know? So we're not, we're not very consistent in that ethic of life. So uh, that's what we've been up to. And, you know, that's gotten us into what John Lewis calls the good trouble. You know, we've gone to jail mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, resisting these different things. And Drew Hart, you know, he's a great friend. Uh, I think he draws on that tr tradition of prophetic mm -hmm. imagination of of challenging the uh, principalities and powers that are destroying the humanity and the, the, the flourishing of our brothers and sisters. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, in North Philadelphia, that's been our home, but we've been doing this work kind of all over the country and, and together with raw tools. I'm, I'm now an apprenticing blacksmith under I love uh, that. Mike Martin over there. Or, or under Katie. Yeah, <laughs> my wife's a better blacksmith than me, so she teaches me every time. That's super great. Okay, so um, one of the things that you said was like, you know, I, I brought up in one of our first episodes is with the abandoned church, and then you you house families in that space. It's almost like um, in which, you know, during this COVID time, we've had to abandon our church building. And in the midst of that, we have been creative and we've created uh, housing for immigrant families in that space. It's almost like you have to leave first, empty it all out, and then recreate something brand new. So that image of that abandoned church was really cool. Okay, so here's to the Barabbas story. Um, how do you think? It relates to this moment in the gospel. How do you think your work that you both do um, relates to this moment in the gospel when Pilate releases Barabbas from prison and not Jesus? Well, I think um, while I was reading that part, I immediately thought of one of the origin stories of Raw Tools is the story of Charletta Evans, who um, her the anniversary of her three-year-old son's death is uh, 25 years coming up this December. So um, she, she was going in just to quickly tell the story. She was going to her grandniece's house to get younger kids out of the area because there's a drive-by shooting the night before. And while she was inside, they came back again um, and kind of shot up the house and the car. And when she went back to the car, they drove off and one of her 
um, other nieces and her other son in the car said that her youngest was was shot and he was bleeding and um, he passed away shortly thereafter while she was holding her him on the sidewalk. Kason uh, is his name. And fast forward 17 years and she is sitting across the table from the man who pulled the trigger and um, she was the very first person in Colorado to go through a, a high risk victim offender mediation. Um, and part of that, he had sent her a card on Mother's Day a few years before asking if she would be his kind of surrogate mother. Um, and she eventually accepted that. And she continues to have a relationship with him um, and advocates for his parole now uh, that he'll have an opportunity for in a couple of years. And at the time of the shooting, he was only 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. And he was with two other teenagers. Um, I don't think any of them had a legal uh, license to drive. Um, they were just trying to impress a local gang. And so when you think about Barabbas being this political revolutionary, that's it's very much like um, at that time, especially kind of the street gang life that all the resources have been stripped from them. And the only safety they find is within this gang life that offers protection and access to income, things like that, mm -hmm. that they, they, they are told they don't have access to. And they feel like they need to use violent means to gain respect within that community, but also violent means to kind of expand their territory. And that, that's not unlike some violent zealots of the first century in, mm -hmm. in Jesus' time. And even now um, that, that that can be, there's two different ways. And I love how um, Drew brings in that, in that book about how, you know, we can't be these perfect pacifists, not disconnected saying we're so good because we we don't um we don't engage in conflict or we don't um bring violence but it's also because they're separated from conflict they're not there suffering with and i think that's the example that jesus and charletta bring um to this equation that they're there not just because they lost a son but because they choose to suffer with the people that are suffering mm -hmm. from the systems of the world mm -hmm. And really that's when we have our events with raw tools and we invite people around the anvil and someone who's lost someone to gun violence picks up that hammer and starts helping us change that gun into a garden tool. I think that's what Jesus is doing for us on the cross that he's offering this way to suffer with, but also not at the expense of anybody else's life and ultimately at the expense of his own. Mm, that was a brilliant story and connection to this Barabbas story. Yeah. Yeah. Charletta Evans is a, she's a, she's a, just an incredible um, woman and hero and friend, uh, board member, right? Of Raw Tools. She's been, she's, I wish. Her, <laughs> we're honorary board. She, yeah. But I, I think that that story captures really you know, the heart of what we believe um, and what we, you know, what Mike and I write about in the book Beating Guns is uh, Mike often says, uh, you know, when you look at the gun and the cross, you see two very different versions of power. And, you know, one, it says I'm willing to die and the other says I'm willing to kill. And, I, you know, I think at the heart of our faith, there is a call to a revolution, uh, but the question is, what kind of revolution is it? You know, is it the revolution of Barabbas or the revolution of Jesus? Is it the revolution of the sword or the revolution of the cross? And those competing um, forces were at work in Jesus's time. We see that really well. I mean, there are all kinds of 
violent revolutions that were rising up. It was a fragile, you know, time of with deep inequities, just like we have mm -hmm. right now. Um, deeply oppressed people, um, and, um, and and so in the midst of that, Jesus is preaching this gospel of peace, saying, "Blessed are the peacemakers." You know, he's he's even as, as he's being crucified, he says, "Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing." He's calling us to love our enemies, and. I'm, I'm really convinced that peacemaking doesn't mean passivity, uh, it, but it's, it is a call to, a, you know, transcend the forces that are dehumanizing. It's to interrupt injustice without mirroring injustice. You know, mm -hmm. it's um, uh, disarming evil without becoming evil as we do mm -hmm. it. Um, so, you know, that idea that there's a third way that's neither fight nor flight, but it's mm. this kind of revolutionary love. It holds out the hope that even someone who is an oppressor can be transformed. As Desmond mm -hmm. Tutu says, God's love is big enough to set both the oppressed and the oppressors free. And I think that's what Jesus is showing us on the cross and, you know, might be in, in contrast to some of the violent expressions of revolution is to say, I'm willing to die, but not to kill. In fact, the whole gospel is about greater love is no one than this, you know, is, is laying down their life for others. And the people that that's inspired have been some of the great, uh, you know, heroes and sheroes of, of nonviolence in history. Of course, Dr. King, you know, who said, um, you can, you can kill us and we will still love you. You can, you know, put us in jail and we will still love you. You can burn down our houses and we will still love you. You can, you know, threaten the lives of our children and we will still love you, but we will wear you down by our love. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what Jesus does is he exposes injustice and subverts it with love and triumphs over um, the violence uh, of our world um, with, with that uh, call to be peacemakers. Yeah, the third way is hard for Ooh. us mortals. It Jeez, sure it that sure was is. that's a challenge to put out to us. Goodness. <laughs> so, um, you know, as as we've discussed, Barabbas was this um, political revolutionary um, who engaged in counterviolence against the Roman Empire, um, and as and as you said, they were in this system of um, deep, deep oppression, which parallels our systems of oppression today. People were hungry and um, homeless and um, people are hungry and homeless today. And, um, you know, we, we create these systems. Um, but I wanna ask you, how does, this, how does this reframing of Jesus and the way he, he the way that, Barabbas is portrayed and the way that Jesus responds to Barabbas um, that Drew talks about, how can it help us today to respond to, to empathize with rather than demonizing um, those who engage in anti-oppression work that does not neatly align with our own? This, this idea that, um, we we need to travel this road together and 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 how do we how do we balance that i i think uh at the heart of it for this just in my own personal piece and a little bit about 
I'm so stuck in this swords to plowshares framework that it's really hard for me to see anything outside of it. And that right. there's certainly bias to that for me, just because of the work of raw tools the last eight years. But the biggest thing I've learned is that the, for me, the biggest difference is the pace at which we want things accomplished. Um, whether we think that's fair or not, I think that there's this temptation to get into make it as fast as possible. And sometimes that does happen, but sometimes it's a, this is a long, long haul piece. And so the transition from a sword to a plowshare is, I keep finding that, you know, it's, if you take up swords or take up weapons, you might accomplish your goal for the short term. You might stop something and start something new, but you've really replaced one cycle of violence for another cycle of violence. And I think that the plowshare offers this opportunity to slow down and build a healthy system that requires careful planning and planting and caring for that life and harvesting and then taking a break and doing it all over again. Mm. And it kind of speaks towards the, whether you use a sprint versus a marathon, that we all have this language of pace that we use when we want to bring about change, but really it's this, this collective work. And so some of us, you know, it's a, it's a personality thing too. I'm for anyone doing Enneagram stuff. I'm a nine on the Enneagram. So I just want everybody to get along, but I also want to fix things real quick because I want everybody to get along. And so I often want to fix things before people are ready to deal with whatever mm. trauma happened to them or that they put on somebody else. So the idea of um, Emmanuel is also really powerful for me that, you know, God is with us and that he calls us to be with each other that the more and more we might have the similar goals, let's still be with. Like there's plenty of, of it's not like MLK and Malcolm X never worked together, even though they had different methods to their work. Um, they were working towards the same goal and they, they knew that. And so there was a lot of um, partnership and, and work separate from each other, but they knew they were both going towards the same goal. So I think that there's um, this, this, tied to that my way is the pure way or my way is the right way and we have to let go or hold that loosely and kind of do this work together and suffer with each other right yeah, yeah I, I think of the quote from uh, dr king is uh, uh, when he said those who love peace must learn to organize as effectively as those who love war so we've got to organize and create coalitions and partnerships with all kinds of different people um, and people that share our faith and don't share our faith and people that don't agree on every issue but see the intersections of them and um, I think that that there's a lot of wisdom on what we can learn from our history too especially what Dr. King learned which was that the way that we expose injustice is by holding up a mirror and by um, by uh, getting in the streets and 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 um, uh, making injustice so uncomfortable that people have to respond, you know. And so he he saw the propensity towards violence um, um, that happens when people are not listened to, you know. Um, and he said, you know, that violence is the language of the unheard. What are we not hearing? And so I think there's a question right now of, of who, do we need, who do we need to be listening to? What are we not hearing in our country right now? Um, and and there's, there's, um, 
there's the issues of property too versus humanity, you know, and Jesus is really challenging this too. When he says, you know, talk about the temple and they're marveling over the temple. He says, one day, no stone will be left on another, but he redefines the temple really as, as us. And, and if we believe that black bodies are temples of the Holy of Holies of, of, of God's spirit, that that changes things. You know, I think when we see a country that is often better at protecting Confederate monuments than black lives, like there's something, there's something that's not um, exaggerating in calling some of this idolatry. You know, when in East Tennessee, where I grew up, we still have a statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest, the, one of the founders of the KKK in the Capitol building that's idolatry, you know, there, there's nothing proper about that. So I think, you know, we've got to figure out how can we do better um, at honoring, you know, the temples of God mm. in, in people's bodies. And, you know, if people were not out in the streets, outraged at the, the video of George Floyd being suffocated by police, like something's wrong with us. So I think we've just got to find ways to channel that anger into constructive change and far be it from me to to um uh, you know I, I think there's many people that their voices have been unheard for so long um that um we we there, there's there's we're, we're kind of facing a critical moment in in our national history right now and i sure hope that as dr king said the people of faith the church can be a conscience um, in this moment, that we can really amplify those voices that are not being heard um, so that we, we can see, you know, nonviolent uh, movements change our country. And, you know, is that, that old saying, I think it was Kennedy, wasn't it, that said, if we make nonviolent revolution um, impossible, then we make violent revolution inevitable. So I think right. we've got to really, really, I mean, but right now people are, they're saying there's no good way to protest. You know, if Colin Kaepernick kneels in the national anthem, there's something wrong with that. You know, like if people march in the streets and close a highway, that's a felony offense. So I think we've got to find ways that, that thousands and thousands of people can express their righteous indignation right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and Drew says um, that, he, it, this is on page 90, Jesus' response to those who choose violence as the means for liberation um, was not condemnation, but lament. And I think it is that, right? It is seeing the other. It is seeing that you are so harmed that your only response is violence. I need to suffer with you. I need to sit with you. And that is the way that we make for peace. It is a deeply intentional, empathetic, communal and relational way. It feels like that's, that's what, and, and, and it, it seems so simple. Like there's super basic human things to do, but like for some reason, especially now it is so, so hard. So divisive. Okay. It's so divisive on so many levels. Um, okay. One, one last question um, that I started asking um, our interviewees last week. Um, if there was one concrete practice, ritual ideas that uh, that you think that congregations could take on, super simple. Remember, like 
easy to understand, easy to do, what would you have them do in this time and place? If churches needed to sort of bring some energy into their into their context, if they like, what would you have them do? Hmm. I did not prepare you for this. <laughs> you can take so, a minute to think. <laughs> you well, can, I, yes. I can start and then I, I want Mike to have the last word. He's, uh, because we're doing a lot of this work together and I do think we need new rituals. We need things that move people's heart, not just their heads. You know, we got all, all that together. But the one thing I would invite people to check out if they haven't already bumped into it is a resource that we created called Common Prayer. Uh, and yeah. um, it's, it's on the web at commonprayer.net. There's a, a app for mobile devices. But the reason mm -hmm. I say that is that there were like 30 of us that helped create it. And it was out of our own felt need uh, for some ways to really um, put prayer into action, you know, mm -hmm. and, to, and, and also to see prayer not as just as a way of escaping responsibility, you know, as a lot of politicians mm -hmm. offer thoughts and prayers after shootings, but really to go, we want to be people of prayer and our nation needs prayer right now, uh, but mm -hmm. we also want to get off our knees and, you know, become, you know, flesh out those prayers with our feet. So, and, and, you know, through the year, we also remember different people. So we just remembered this week, Harriet Tubman, and, mm. um, and we remembered uh, St. Francis of Assisi. And, oh, nice. Uh, and we remember different dates that both were beautiful and tragic, you know, so we remember this is when we dropped the Nagasaki bomb and the Hiroshima bomb. This is when Rosa Parks went to jail and, you know. Oh, I love you know, it. So, yeah, that's So that's great. one resource I would say that folks might find really helpful. We yeah, and I think definitely put that I in know. our um, no, our people are our people are especially gonna like it. Yep. I think not um, everybody could be a blacksmith, Mike. Just remember that. <laughs> that's that's okay. We need some healers and trauma counselors and all that, and just people to eat meals together. Um, I I don't I I keep going back to this quote that really helped build the imagination for raw tools and helped me like examine something um, or remove myself from something I was participating in. And your example of like COVID is kind of forcing us into this, that we emptied our church building and it tried to imagine what else would be here if we weren't, or what does our community need if we're not here? Um, and there's the, the book, The Prophetic Imagination by Walter Brueggemann is oh, foundational. Love. Yeah, love. it's so foundational to raw tools and in there he has a quote and i'm just going to paraphrase this that we have been so abused and um like like just kind of stuck in this version of empire that our churches have kind of gotten into the cycles mm -hmm. of our world that we have lost the as he says it the courage or the imagination to think in alternative thought mm -hmm. and and to me that is such a a key to in restorative justice they talk about the snail model that you're you kind of had this this cycle of violence that you can get into this victim offender cycle that if you're mm -hmm. a victim it's not that hard to become an offender and that mm -hmm. there's this snail model that it, you take that cycle like a snail shell has this kind of um, cyclical design to it but then that there's an exit ramp that gets you off and that's mm -hmm. kind of the snail's head that mm -hmm. that you get out of that because you've been given an opportunity to think in alternative thought and I think mm -hmm. that's the blessing of COVID right now that's the blessing of this time we have 
a lot of us have extra time with our families and our homes that we're re-examining not just um, our practice as a corporate body in the church, but our practice as um, our, our, our immediate families and then even mm-hmm. on a personal level. So our temple as our own body, our temple as our corporate body, um, and as our, our polity, our, how we decide to live together. Um, and I think practices like reading the common prayer and maybe creating a new practice that starts a new cycle for you. Um, I don't know that that's easy. You asked for something easy and this isn't, this is, I think that's very hard. And well, to, yeah, to simplify, I think what you're saying, the prophet, particularly from Brueggemann's book, the prophetic imagination is the prophet, um, usually names the big fat issue just puts it out there right and then there is this like sort of moment of grieving and i think what you're saying is people kind of get stuck in that cycle of grieving over and over and over again but the third piece of the prophet is the imagination piece and i think what you're saying is that um there needs we need to like break it open so there's this space to just reimagine and imagine over and over and over again um and maybe the simplest way is let's depend on the spirit a little more than on ourselves as mm -hmm. like let's be okay to fail a few times in the new things that we're trying because we'll learn from that too i mean we can i can think of countless events that we've done where something has happened that we didn't plan and it was such a better event because of that Mm -hmm. and it it would have been worse every sunday (laughs) yeah exactly like things happen, especially, I I love churches that open up the mic for community prayer requests and things like that, because it can be a little uncomfortable, and you don't know what somebody's about to say, and you don't know how people are going to react, but it's kind of inviting the space in, inviting the spirit into the space, and, you know, say, be with us, suffer with us, move amongst us, and um, I think that's the, that's the power of imagination, is that you don't necessarily have control. It's a good, good lesson. It is. Um, I could go on talking forever and ever. You guys are so wise and creative and thoughtful. And I feel um, unbelievably blessed to be in this virtual space with you two. And um, I mean, I wish I could meet Shane in real life um, because I see Mike all the time. Um, <laughs> you're great too, Mike. You are great too, Mike. <laughs> um, but thank you both for for doing this for us. Um, yeah, it's been super great. I know. Yeah, thanks Good. for Peace. thanks for having us. I'm glad it worked out. Absolutely. We often put Barabbas in the camp of the have-nots or the other. We put them into the group of people that we don't agree with. And so often when we don't agree with someone, we set ourselves against them instead of empathizing with their suffering, wondering what their story is, even when we don't understand it. What do you think, Mandy? Well, Drew says on page 91 that it's only when we empathize with every Barabbas in our midst through actual joining in life, sharing intimately in suffering, and taking up our own cross in the struggle for God's dream of a new reign, that we can truly grasp the things that make for peace, the things that Jesus is calling us to live by. Leslie Sheely, who is a church member, reached out to me this week and 
was asking for some resources, some simple articles that went along with our theological perspective on how to pray um, and love our enemy, which I was like, this is super timely and makes sense for this episode. And also, um, as we near a tricky election. Yeah. It's true that Jesus says, love your enemy. But Barabbas was neither our enemy or our friend. Barabbas was this guy that's on our side, but he does things differently. Barabbas was also stuck in the system of oppression and the social order of violence. He too wanted peace and fought to resist the oppressors of the community. So we want you to think of the, of the other in your life. And it could be someone who might think differently than you. It might be someone who you consider an enemy. It could be someone um, that wants the same end goal, but goes about it differently than you. Just like Jesus and Barabbas both wanted their people to be liberated. They just did it in different right. ways. And so we want you to think about that name. And so now is the time for that ritual that we have been doing at the ends of each episode. And we want you to grab your little piece of paper and your pen or your markers. And we want you to write that person's name down as an act of prayer. And it can be in that moment, just that simple act of prayer, or you can hold that name in your heart this week. You can put that little piece of paper in your pocket or in your purse. And as, as your practice, your faith practice for this week. Yeah. I want to use some words um, from the book, from Drew's book, as a prayer today. The things that make for peace are the exercise of faith in God's liberation and peacemaking on earth, even amid a social order organized around the strategic and systemic use of state violence. The things that make for peace include the practice of empathetic solidarity that intimately joins the crucified of the world through presence. The things that make for peace confront and clash with the establishment and the dens of exploitation and are willing to accept the consequences for such faithful resistance. The things that make for peace lead us to visibly embody the radical story of Jesus before our neighbors, manifesting God's reign on the underside of the empire. Amen. Peace and grace, my friends. Peace and grace. Next week, we will hear from Hannah Martin and Sarah Jackson on how they are being witnesses during this time as we discuss Chapter 3 of Who Will Be a Witness by Drew Hart, The Supremacist Captivity of the Church. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at Black Forest Community Church United Church of Christ and message us to learn how you can be a part of this effort to tell stories, have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. 
To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation or a regular commitment with as little as $1 a month. You'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. Thank you to all those people that support and listen. We could not do this without you.